Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Tuesday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, it was about three years ago that East Point Mayor Dina Holiday Ingram told me about a vision that she had. I would love for this to be a model of equitable revitalization that can happen in equitable economic development, meaning we're building buildings, but it's more than buildings, we're building community. So yes, it will be mixed use, it will have retail and residential space. We want to make sure that there's diversity in income within the building um, and a diversity within use. So we want to make sure that people have the opportunity to come grow with us in the city of East Point and that there's a place here for them and that they don't have to go somewhere else. They can be here in the point because there's no point like East Point. Ah, there she goes. There's no point like East Point. Well, now that vision is a once in a lifetime opportunity. So we'll learn more about what's going to happen with nine acres of vacant vacant land. Also, Governor Brian Kemp's plan to cut ties with the Obamacare enrollment website, healthcare.gov.gov is still in limbo. We'll dissect the issue with healthcare reporter Andy Miller. All that's coming up. But first, this the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention right here in Atlanta says the highly transmissible Omicron variant of the coronavirus is now the dominant strain in the U.S. Data from the agency released late yesterday estimates it respo- it's responsible for some 73 percent of all U.S. infections in the southeast. That number is even higher. It's 95 percent. That's much quicker than federal health officials predicted. Even last week, they said it would take weeks for Omicron to take over. Well, considering all that, the rise in COVID-19 cases in the city of Atlanta also has prompted Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms to reinstate a citywide indoor mask mandate. Again, Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms is reinstating a citywide indoor mask mandate. The mayor shared the news of the executive order on Twitter just moments ago. It reverses a decision earlier last month to remove the mask requirement. Now, that news comes um, as we hear that Governor Brian Kemp says he is not planning to put public health measures like a statewide mask mandate in place, even as COVID-19 cases continue to increase due to Omicron. Still, Kemp says he's monitoring case numbers. You know, I'm hoping this variant, even though it's spreading very quickly, which is worrisome because a lot of people are catching it very fast, uh, but it doesn't seem to be as potent as Delta. Researchers are still trying to determine whether the Omicron strain causes more severe disease. Now, the COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations have been rising steadily in Georgia since Thanksgiving. Public health officials say the rise of the Omicron stresses the continued importance of, yes, vaccination and getting boosted, wearing face masks indoors and avoiding large gatherings. And in in more coronavirus news, Atlanta Mayor-elect Andre Dickens says he's contracted COVID-19 
Dickens shared that news on Twitter late yesterday. Now he says he tested positive with a rapid test, has some mild symptoms and is urging folks to be smart about their holiday plans, which, according to him, says that means getting vaccinated, including a booster shot for those eligible, wearing masks at family gatherings and taking rapid tests. Dickens swearing in is reportedly being changed from inside to outside. He's expected to take office next month, next January 3rd. Now, more news. President Joe Biden is set to address the latest COVID-19 concerns for the U.S. this afternoon at 2.30. You can hear those remarks right here on 90.1 WABE and streaming online at WABE.org. Lots of coronavirus news. We understand that, but we feel it's important. This is Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. That's economic development music. Close Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. A few years ago, Closer Look profiled the city of East Point, And at that time, Mayor Dina Holiday Ingram talked about the expected population growth and hopes of economic development for the city and especially in the downtown area. I would love for this to be a model of equitable revitalization that can happen in equitable economic development, meaning we're building buildings, but it's more than buildings, we're building community. So yes, it will be mixed use, it will have retail and residential space. We wanna make sure that there's diversity in income within the building um, and a diversity within use. So we want to make sure that people have the opportunity to come grow with us in the city of East Point and that there's a place here for them and that they don't have to go somewhere else. They can be here in the point because there's no point like East Point. There she goes. There's no point like East Point. Now the city of East Point's downtown district will be the site for a new $111 million project known as the Commons. And joining me now with more is the mayor, Mayor Dina Holiday Ingram. Madam Mayor, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Welcome back. Yeah. Hi. Thank you so much for having me today. Good to be here with Remember when we were uh, driving around all of East Point? You gave us a tour. We were there for like the whole afternoon. We were. We had a good time, too. I was showing you the site. You still got a barbecue place there? We do. We actually do on Washington Road and one on Kemp Creek as well. Which one you like? <laughs> I like all of them. We also have one by Tri-Cities High School. So we're growing. We have more barbecue options now. All right. Listen, before we get into more about this new development project in a moment, but listen, it's been a while since we last spoke. But of course, COVID-19 is still with us. And now with the Omicron mm-hmm. variant, you just heard about Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms here in Atlanta issuing the indoor mask mandate. Are you all considering any new safety protocols? Yes, we um, just implemented or approved our 10th emergency ordinance last night, continuing our indoor mask mandate. And so we've had that in place for quite some time. And we each month look at it, look at where we are. 
um, from a data perspective, how the, how the cases are going. And with the increase in cases in the Omicron variant, we just feel right now we still need to be um, cautious and we need to prioritize the safe of, I mean, excuse me, the safety and welfare of our residents as well as our staff um, and mayor and council as well. So we still have an indoor mask mandate in place and we are still telling people, encouraging people to vax up and boost up mm-hmm. so that continue to get through this. Are you seeing uh, an increase in folks getting vaccinated? Are you able to to look at numbers for your city? Yes, we have absolutely seen an increase. Um, we received those numbers from the county and we were in some areas in our in the teens, like 17% at one point. And those areas were now like 30, high 30s. We have some areas in the city that are high 50s, low 60s. So we looking at the census tract is how they share the data with us. Mm-hmm only seeing an increase in people being vaccinated and we have at least a weekly opportunity in the city of East Point at Impact Church for people to continue to get vaccinated. We have a couple testing sites. We have one that is here and does testing daily. And so we are seeing more and more people. Um, I think as it continues to impact more and more people, I think we're seeing more and more people get less hesitant mm-hmm. about vaccinated and really looking at how they can protect themselves, their family, and of course our community. Small businesses, as you know, were were heavily impacted by all of this, of course, from last year. How, how would you assess how small businesses in the city of East Point, are they are been able to rebound at all here? I've talked with some of them. They have rebounded and are have become, made themselves pandemic proof of sorts. I think what they've learned during the sh- when we were shut down and the struggles and challenges of that, now the business models have changed mm-hmm. to ensure that if something should happen again, that they're going to be able to withstand that that challenge. People have also changed the way we do things post-COVID. I don't think we'll ever go back to life as we knew it pre-COVID and doing things the way that we're doing it. People will continue to you know use online and and apps to be able to get food and you know be, do more of the touchless type um ordering and so i think those things will survive and that's going to help them continue to get through this and continue to be able to do business as well as COVID 19 public safety obviously has been a big issue not just for city of atlanta but throughout georgia throughout the nation you all recently oh. named shan Buc- sean buchanan as a new east point uh police chief there. Uh, what can you say about his appointment, and especially because recently the killing of 25-year-old Knox Painter, who confronted car thieves, and then Juan Lopez, who was killed while being robbed at an ATM. These, of course, made the headlines there. Um, what is your plan with the new police chief and tackling public safety issues here? So the police chief and I spoke to the, our public and our community last week. I feel extremely confident in Chief Buchanan's leadership He's already taking immediate decisive actions that show not only people want more of the statements now, they want actions, right? I'm a mother and a resident of the city of East Point. And, you know, when you have two random acts of violence within two weeks mm-hmm. and people just doing their day-to-day activities, people should be able to expect to be able to go to the ATM and make it home. People should be able to expect to, if something is a ride outside, check and see what's going on without losing their life. And so there was you know, this real outcry, people did not feel safe. And there's still things that we need to do to make sure that East Pointers feel safer. Chief Buchanan, we had a town hall meeting on last Thursday. So we did a press conference last Tuesday and a police town hall on last Thursday. 
and he, you know, stood and addressed the issues. He talked about the media actions. He has placed all police officers, anyone that's on staff, on patrol, including himself. Mm -hmm. So chief, major, lieutenants, everyone is patrolling, and that is the way we he's dealing with getting more police officers on the street. I said, Chief, when does it start? He's like, Mayor, I'm at Camp Creek patrolling right now. So he's leading by example. He is doing the work. He's also creating an overtime detail. That doesn't mean that every officer is receiving overtime, but those officers who choose to um, do overtime so that we can have more patrol, that's in place as well. He's looking at also changing um, our shifts to ensure our patrol. We're looking at getting more equipment in. So he has really hit the ground and made some immediate decisive action, taking some immediate decisive actions to improve safety and to ensure that people feel safe. Do y'all have a shortage of officers, Madam Mayor? We do. We um, are budgeted for 114 officers. We're not at that. Um, we, he is also launching a very aggressive recruiting strategy. So become, um, starting February, January of 2022, East Point police officers starting salary will be $52,000, which is extremely high in the area. He has said that we're going to be one of the best, the best police department in this region. And I, we're looking to you know, ensure a safer city and, and best department within the country, but very aggressive with salaries, take home vehicles. We recently approved um, an insurance subsidy for not only our police officers and first responders, but all employees. So really looking at how we continue to not only just say safety is and will always be our top priority, but make sure that we have the investments there from a budget perspective. So we have been having those conversations at council to make sure that there are no additional budget um, needs right now. And as they become um, necessary, we will absolutely prioritize that and make those adjustments and make sure that the resources continue to be there to help our chief do the job of making sure that East Pointers feel safe and that they protect and serve our community. He has indicated that he is going to be professional towards citizens mm -hmm. and aggressive towards crime. That $52,000 start, starting salary for police officers, you are correct. That is, if not the highest, that is one of the highest in the regions for starting officers. I want to shift for a moment because in, in speaking of resources, you know, there's a lot of talk about what communities will get, you know, from the uh, Joe Biden, from the uh, Restore America plan. And all. What, what kind of money are you all expected to get in terms of infrastructure for infrastructure? So we are within a lot of the communities that we um, notice when these plans are communicated, there is a lot of focus on equity mm -hmm. and make the communities that have been overburdened by pollution and communities that have extreme infrastructure needs, the money actually gets to us. So I say us because we are one of those communities. We have over $326 million in inherited infrastructure needs from water, sewer, stormwater. We um, have received some GIFA loans, so um, to help with those, we received some funding from Congresswoman Williams. We um, recently, the city of East Point, College Park, and Haightville um, asked for legislation that was approved by the governor to allow us to have a municipal option sales tax referendum to put on the ballot for residents to decide if that will be an option to help fund the, the millions and trillions of dollars that are coming down from the Biden administration, I believe, are going to help cities like us deal with mm -hmm. these systemic issues. Over 60 to 70 percent of our water 
infrastructure within this city are is over 60 to 70 years old. Well, in, in Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg talked about the city of East Point being a model, being that type of city that could be sort of this example, particularly as it relates to mobility and transit. So how optimistic are you? You just told me y'all need about $326 million worth. (laughs) (laughs) And how much do you actually have? So I'm doing fundraising on a whole nother level. So we (laughs) made about three and a half million per year. We received about 7 million here. We had opera funds. So we've been pooling together um, millions of dollars to be able to continue to address these issues. But I think it also positions us to be ready to be a city to receive the funds from, as you mentioned, Secretary Pete Buttigieg walked the streets of East Point with us and talked about transportation and equity and equitable transit-oriented development. And, you know, we share our story in the city of East Point. And so we're continuing to do that. We sent him, Senator Ossoff, Senator Warnock, Congresswoman Williams, back with a packet or bound presentation of over $400 million worth of projects for the city of East Point, including transportation. And so, you know, to be able to actually receive those funds and and actually have them improve the systems and infrastructure within our city, we have to be ready. Mm -hmm. And so we are ready to make those investments once we receive them. Well, and hopefully then this this new, what we're going to talk about now, the project, the commons, which you have called the city's legacy project. You said this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to build what you call equitable development in downtown. You talked about this three years ago when we were out there. Yes, this um, project has been a long time coming, right? We not only since I've been on council, even prior to that, and we've now come to a place where we have the opportunity to make a dream a reality and have an actual equitable um, redevelopment and revitalization project in the heart of our downtown that will include commercial retail, residential, green space, public art, creating this place-making and a destination for people to come to. And it's going to be catalytic to revitalizing our downtown. If you're just joining us, I'm in conversation with the city of East Point Mayor Dina Holiday Ingram. Now, you know, you're going to get this this next question, right? You know, it begins with with the H housing and then the, the A word affordability, because you yes. know where I'm going. So let's let's yes. get into it. Let's talk about that. If let's you're talking about. Yeah. If you're talking about residential. Then what are we looking at here? And are we are you looking at mixed income, as they like to say, as it relates to affordable housing market rate with a little bit of affordability? Yes, so I am looking for an equitable housing strategy that has mixed income housing within one development. So right now there's a commitment to within the development agreement to 10% of the units being affordable. Is that enough? 10%? No, it's, it's not enough. And so I've asked for and will continue to advocate for more. So when we think about housing, we can't grow, build housing with 10% affordable and 90% market, you create an 80% gap that never closes and it continues to spread. And then you have this very real missing middle housing challenge that we are facing in this country because of that model. So I believe that we need a more equitable housing strategy that provides, you know, maybe up from up to 100 plus percent of AMI, right? Workforce mm-hmm. of housing, continuing to build housing for people who make between Fifty and a hundred thousand dollars because that missing middle income housing shortage is growing in the country. Well, let me ask you this: then. this nine acres, this the commons, 
You all are developing this or are you working with developers? Who owns the property, the land? So the city owns the property. It's a public-private partnership. The master developer is my match development group and the development team includes TVS design for architecture and urban planning and choke construction for as a general contractor. So that is the development team. There's also a real estate management group, Core Rep, Project Finance and Baker Tilly and Project Council Hunnigan. And so I look forward to seeing more diversity and more minority participation on the actual development team. The development agreement does require um, 20% minority participation as well as local hiring. I'm looking forward to that type of commitment also being at the development team level, as well as as we continue to move forward and there's subcontracting going on within this development. That 20% minority participation, you were talking in terms of those subcontractors, whether it be construction or HVAC or whatever have you, you all, 20% someone listening may say, well, that's that's not a whole lot. So, you know, I continue to advocate for more, right? This is this project was a long time coming and we are at the beginning. And so we will continue to have conversations with the development team. I will continue to challenge and push for more equitable housing, more minority participation. But I do think that this is going to be catalytic and this is a great start, but it will continue to happen. And we will have community engagement sessions with our community. This project is a once in a lifetime opportunity for our whole community. And I want the community to feel a part of it and that this is the development is happening with them because it's been so long in the making. So what phase are we in now? We Are, are we in the listening phase? Have you seen a mock-up yes. of anything, any type of, of what this could look like? Or are we still a ways off from even seeing something like that? So we do have a concept design that I'm looking forward to that being shared with the community and the community meeting to get community feedback on. So right now we have literally just signed a development agreement. So there are a number of things that need to happen, financing and solidifying things and you know making sure that the community has input on that design. So we're really at the beginning phase of it. It has three phases. Like once we actually break ground or have a groundbreaking, there's three phases and each phase right now is scheduled to be a, a year and a half. So this project totally will take about four and a half years if it goes as planned based upon what we have right now. But oh. we look forward to continuing conversations and continued amendments to make this more equitable. So this can be the legacy project for equity and this can be an opportunity to show how we can equitably revitalize our city through making sure that there's you know, equity infused, mixed income housing, placemaking, you know, things that people want to come and enjoy and can do that in a way that doesn't leave any East Point behind. What incentives are you all or have presented to developers? Often we think about the tax incentives. Um, how, has that structure been negotiated and finalized? So this project is in our tax allocation district, the TAD in mm-hmm. downtown there are some tax incentives that have been made a part of this and, and um, part of the financing structure that is continuing to move forward. And so there are a number of things that are still needed. We're still trying to get the consent from the Fulton County School Board on the tax allocation district so we can use that increment. And so, again, this is kind of really in the works. We look forward to that being um, considered and voted up by the school board in January of 2022. So we're really trying to continue to make this project happen as we move forward. 
but the announcement was that we've actually signed the development agreement with this developer. So you've, si- so you've signed the agreement, but is there anything that could thwart that agreement if you don't get the approval from Fulton County Schools or are there community benefits that need to be binding community ben- benefit agreements that need to be negotiated as well? There's a lot to lot to figure figure into all this, huh? Lots of figure into all of it. The the community benefits have been included, I'll say some have been included within the development agreement. Are they binding, meaning that they have yes. to be okay. Yes, it's a part of the agreement. You this will have twenty percent minority participation in local hiring. This will have, you know, at least ten percent um housing affordability. I'm pushing for more, right? And so while we have an agreement, I believe it's going to be amended. I believe we'll make it more equitable. And yes, we're a long ways off from putting a shovel in the ground and breaking ground. Well, but you got to get everything in a guy get everything in writing first, right? So, absolutely. What, what is that? What is an acceptable number for you in terms of that affordability, the housing affordability? Twenty five percent, forty. I shoot really high, so I'm talking like 40, 45. So if you get a forty, sixty, you got a twenty percent gap, right? But it could be overall, you could have different income levels. So I believe you need to have at least three three income levels in these True. projects, right? Not a extreme, but three. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can which three income levels we want to address within the project. But the more we start building housing and building multifamily developments that can be that are inclusive and allow multiple income levels to be in one development, the better. So I I can share with you East Point Exchange which is a development of about 30 acres right behind the MARTA station in downtown East Point. I know so, it well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, private developer. But on that footprint, we have the opportunity to have, yes, a, a little over 100 units of market rate housing, apartment housing. Um, we have one building that'll have 89 units of workforce development housing for people that make between, I think it's 42 dollars and $57,000. Then phase two could include home ownership options which could be either a townhome or single family. So within one development, we'd have mixed income there as well as there've been, we've been in talks or the developers have been in talks and I've been on those conversations with the YMCA to explore whether or not they would like to be a part of that development. They didn't say no, mm-hmm. um, they'll have to do their feasibility, but there's an interest there. There's a real commitment to um, health and well-being and connecting to our community with our East Point path They've offered, the developers offered free space to Market 166, which is a local food cooperative that residents said, look, we don't have a grocery store. The glass is half full. We're going to take matters inside. I'm glad you brought that up because when we were down there three years ago, now I'm not hating on, is it the hey. Piggly Wiggly or Winn-Dixie, so don't send me an email, but you you, you had concerns and, and, and folks wanted to, some more options in terms of groceries. Grocery stores, how's that looking? Are you all going to get one of the major grocery stores in there? And I so, like the know, Piggly Wiggly. Don't get me wrong. I don't know if it's still there. Some right, folks send me right. email. I'm not hating on the Piggly Wiggly, but, you know. Well, there are a number of ways to get fresh fruits and vegetables to our community that don't necessarily have to be through a chain. For some reason, you know, Sprouts has a distribution center near downtown East Point, but we don't have a store. So the the major chains have are making other business models, have other business models. I, I think people eat food, store sell food. Well, what have demand. they told you? I, I know that sometimes a metric that they use is based yeah. on an average medium in, house income or, or 
Either it's either home or house income, or one of the two. Right. And East it's Point all- is growing. And let me tell you something, I've been out there. Y'all got some high prices, high high prices out there for some <laughs> homes. Anyway, come on. So what what's the issue here? Yeah. What are they telling you? That of course that's what they're telling us. Um the median income business model, our median income has gone up through the 2020 census. I think we're around 43,000. We had almost a 14% increase in residents, right? We um our poverty rate is going has gone down. So our metrics are moving in the right direction, but the, the real basic supply and demand that we all learned in economics in high school is if you have the demand, then they'll meet the supply meets the demand and everything's great. People have to eat food. Grocery stores sell food. So what we know is that we can't just wait for anyone to come save us. Market 166 is a real viable option. Mm-hmm. East Exchange is offering up to, I think the one building we looked at recently, it's around 25,000 square feet that they're willing to give to the co-op to allow them to be there and make this really be a reality. We have compost now, we have um, a food food aggregator, um, excuse me, compost now, we have the common market, Mm -hmm. we have growers, we were the city um, to create the first food agriculture plan through the Food Well Alliance and Atlanta Regional Commission, right? We are working on building a local food ecosystem and even created a local food ecosystem commission to deal with our food issues. So whether or not someone comes and saves us, in other words, you don't need them to save you because y'all can work it out. And if they, you know, whatever for them. Sounds like you got it. You guys got it going on out there. And look, and if you're going to support local grown, Georgia grown, local vendors, and hey, that's what's up to. Uh, I'm going to get a lot of emails. (laughs) (laughs) I got an email. So I just got an email. Somebody said, "Girls, quit picking on my mayor." I'm not picking on. Am I, am I picking on you, Madam Mayor? I'm not picking on you. No, you're not. Rose and I are really having a great conversation. I enjoy being here. That's what I'm talking about. Emailing me as we wrap up and we talk about you know 2022. What is your your other top priorities for the city of East Point? Which I love the city of East Point. I can't afford none down there. That's why I don't live down there. Hey, come on. We we have housing affordable. We will continue to have housing that everyone can afford regardless of income level, right? We have our East Point Housing Authority that is doing developments to make sure that we have house. So we are looking at it holistically. And of course you love East Point because there's no point like East Point. And we it's for you. I promise you, I told you I helped you find something. <laughs> we're, gonna as, the, as, we're gonna move the whole closer look team down to East Point. Is that yeah, what you're saying? Let's go. Let's go. Come come be a part of this amazing place and space, this amazing city. Now, as we move forward, we're going to continue to prioritize equity and make sure that equity and inclusion is more than a cliche in the city. And that requires implementing our equitable growth and inclusion strategic plan, that partnership for Southern Equity helped shepherd us through that process to complete looking at and making sure those four pillars of community engagement, just industry, inclusive housing and equitable economic development actually happen and that we grow intentionally and not just hope we end up at a more equitable place, but that we plan to get there. And we have to look at our infrastructure, right? We, I um, was appointed by Secretary Regan of the U.S. Protection Agency to the Local Government Advisory Committee and was tapped to serve as the Chair of the work environmental justice work. I, I, I hear you. I, I hear you. you. In other words, you you miss economic development and equity. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm people. You people. I'm, this, this is what's necessary <laughs> to ensure that my people get what they need. I am absolutely nothing people. wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Yes. East Point Mayor Dina Holiday Ingram. We've been following your city for years now. Thank you so much for giving us an update. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Happy holidays. Thank you and happy holidays to you too. Thank you. And Closer Look continues. This is 90.1 WABE. I'm Rose Scott. The time has come. Obamacare open enrollment season. Yes, when folks looking for health coverage from the Affordable Care Act pick insurance plans. Now, many of them, including those here in Georgia, use the enrollment website, healthcare.gov. It is considered a one-stop shop where people can compare coverage options. Well, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp wants to change that. One of his major health policy priorities has been cutting the state's ties with healthcare.gov. There's a lot of drama with this. There's a lot to unpack, and that's why Andy Miller, editor of Georgia Health News and a Southern Bureau chief of the Kaiser Health News, is here. He's been tracking all of this, so I don't have to. Andy, welcome back. Appreciate it. Good to be with you, Rose. How you been? I'm good. Uh, just dealing with this thing called COVID, you know, in terms of coverage. You yeah. Know? You know what, Andy, before we get into this uh, enrollment uh, Going back, it's almost two years now. It'll be two years in March. What do you make of all this? We're still talking about this, huh? Yeah, we, we are, and, you know, getting ready for another holiday season. I got my kids coming into the house, and uh, it's going to be a full house and making sure everybody's boosted. And, um, you know, and I think a lot of families out there are kind of very frustrated about, you know, having to continue to do the right things like vaccinations and masks and all that sort of stuff. Well, you just heard the Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms is issuing the indoor mask mandate. Uh, what do you make of that? Well, we have to do what we know works in order to get beyond uh, COVID. And, you know, the Omicron variant is fast moving. It's it's here in Georgia. It's not quite it's not 50 percent of the cases, but it's going to be. And so we have to be prepared. Let's get into obviously now what we've been talking about. And I want to go back a little bit to October of last year because Governor Brian Kemp, he held a press conference at the state capitol announcing that the Trump administration, then Trump administration, had approved his plan to cut ties with healthcare.gov. For many, healthcare.gov is a four letter word. And the enrollment process has been nothing short of discouraging. We have no shortage of Georgians who have tried and failed to enroll. Many are living without insurance because the process was just too hard and cumbersome. To ensure a customer focused and easy to use purchasing experience for Georgians who qualify for health insurance subsidies, the state will offer multiple enrollment portals. Instead of a one size fits all approach, Shoppers can use services from direct enrollment brokers or simply purchase a plan from the insurance provider of their choice. I don't know who was clapping, but anyway, your reaction to that, Andy, and does the governor have a point there? Well, you know, originally when healthcare.gov got started, it was a nightmare to work. I mean, it was people were mm -hmm. frustrated. They got knocked off the system. True. They couldn't get in. Uh, but now I think the argument in favor of healthcare.gov is we got half a million Georgians getting coverage through it. The numbers uh, of enrollers, enrollees keep going up. 
We have a record number of insurers offering coverage in the exchange. So if you just look at the numbers and right now, they're looking good for healthcare.gov. Through your lens, and, and again, whenever we talk about the intersection of people and politics, and now we're talking about people, politics, and healthcare, uh, is this just simply about politics and party affiliations through your lens as someone who covers this in terms of why it, it would be in the best interest of Georgia to cut ties with the website? Well, I, I think if I could you know, project on the governor here, I think it's a, it's a philosophical difference here. Uh, the fact that many conservatives don't like government solutions to things and they've and the Kemp administration feels, okay, let's let's have private insurers run this. Let's have brokers and their companies run this and see if we can't do a better job. Uh, but healthcare is a tricky business and government is way involved in healthcare. If you look at Medicare and Medicaid and other programs. So, um, you know, it's, it's gonna be one of those things that's gonna boil down to what the Biden administration wants to do here. What do you hear from people, um, Andy, now about in terms of the ease and navigating through not just the site, but also understanding that the whole process, the whole enrollment process, what that's been like for folks since we've had Obamacare? What have you been hearing? Well, I think it's it's uh, it depends on somewhat on who's president, because uh, the Trump administration cut back on the number of people assisting consumers and signing up. But now the Biden administration has put funding back into that. And so you have organizations out there and you have community health centers across Georgia that are helping people sit down and explain their choices. And insurance agents, too, can do that. So uh, so I, I think, uh, you know, as long as you can get some help and help is available, that you can get through this and get the coverage you need. Remember that this is coverage for people that don't have employer coverage Mm -hmm. or government insurance. This is individuals and families that without it would be kind of left, you know, out there alone. So with Governor Kemp's vision for this, people looking to sign up would do so directly with insurance companies. Just want to be clear about that, right? And through third-party brokers, correct? That's how it would work. Now, we don't really know how it will eventually come together. The, the feds say that, look, we need to be assured that the same number of people will be covered under this new Georgia plan as are now. And that's a burden that the Kemp administration will have to resolve in terms of convincing the feds that we got it covered. What would this mean, though, for consumers though, who who will are listening to all this and listening to this conversation right now and saying, OK, well, y'all just throwing more. Y'all I mean the, the state is just throwing more confusion in all of this. Um, what would it. I mean, <laughs> what do we know about the structure of Georgia's plan? I think you just kind of answered that. Basically, we don't know. Well, we don't know how it would unfold. And, and you know, as you turn on a computer, will, will I go to an individual insurance company site? Would I go to maybe a couple different insurers or health plans or, you know, we, we don't, we just don't know. Uh, the one thing that we do know is healthcare.gov has a format that allows consumers a lot of options in terms of what company to choose and also the pricing and the deductibles and all of that. 
Andy, to your knowledge, if after this new public comment period, which ends, I believe, January 9th, any idea then what the next process is? Would the Biden administration just give it a thumbs up or thumbs down? Or, or what, what's the process here? You know, I have to believe that the Biden administration has raised real questions about the costs and the process and the apparatus involved. And it's just like the Medicaid waiver as well that got the governor has had in terms of an mm-hmm. application as well. The feds under the Biden administration have real questions about both processes and both waiver plans. And I suspect it's going to be a very hard sell for Georgia to get the White House to approve either one of these waiver proposals. Andy, has any other state tried to do what Georgia wants to do here? They haven't. Now, there is one piece of the, the what Georgia wants to do on insurance that's a good thing, that the red states and blue states like to do, and that's reinsurance, which allows insurance companies to offload some of their medical risks for if they have a lot of high cost patients. And that's a good thing. And that will lower premiums. And everybody on all political, the whole political spectrum agrees that we need to do this. Last week, Closer Look spoke with Shaquita brooks Lashore about Georgia's plan when she visited the state. Now, she runs the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and that is a federal agency the state is negotiating with. Here's what she said about all of this. The law has changed. The American Rescue Plan has made coverage more affordable than ever. And we've seen just how much that has made a difference in terms of enrollment. We've also, the Biden-Harris administration, put in record levels um, in terms of outreach. And so we want to know um, from the state and from other uh, other parties um, just how uh, that's going to be implemented here in Georgia. And we really want to work with states to enroll people in coverage. Uh, that's our priority. Um, and we want to make sure that people have access to the things that they are entitled to under the law. Now, she didn't say much about the future of Georgia's plan. The AJC did report that she didn't even meet with Governor Brian's Kemp folks while she was here. What do you make of that? Because it seems like there's a lot of talking through the media and the folks that need to come together aren't aren't doing so. Well, there's a basic philosophical difference here. Uh, the Biden administration wants more people covered, a lot more people covered, particularly in states like Georgia that have not expanded Medicaid. There's 12 states and Georgia's one of them that have mm-hmm. not taken that step. So, uh, so what she said, what the administration administrator said is, look, we've given a lot of a lot more assistance to people in the exchange. Subsidies are better, so prices are better. And and in Georgia right now, you got 11 insurers competing for people's business. Competition is good for the consumer. Hmm, I've heard that before. Um, let me get your thoughts on this. Uh, what happens if this plan gets scuttled? What happens if it gets approved then? Well, if it gets approved, uh, then we'll just have to see what happens in terms of rollout. I hope that the legislature, I would hope that the legislature as well as advocacy groups can take a look at it before it debuts, which would be 2023. If it is not approved, we'll keep what we got and continue with that. And then we'll talk about other health care issues that we have, such as expanding coverage here in the state. Kemp has, as you mentioned, those other policy priorities and obviously limited Medicaid expansion, which also is up in the air. All of these major 
all of his major health policy initiatives have really, how would you assess them? I'm going to ask, I'm going to let you answer that. How, how would you grade Kemp's health policy well, initiatives here? Well, I think, let's take just a second to talk about the pandemic. I think mm-hmm. he's done a good job in terms of urging people to get vaccinated. Uh, you know, and and that's been a that's been a very good thing, and and I wish more Republican leaders would do that. Uh, but these two waiver proposals are central to his uh, health care platform, basically. And uh, I've got to believe that next year, with the gubernatorial campaign upon us, that health care once again is going to be a huge issue, it's both a- for. The Dems and the Republicans. So you see this then, as many other analysts do, that this is healthcare. Obviously, is going to be a, a major issue in 2022 as candidates from everywhere, from everyone and all the lawmakers, <laughs> on up to the gubernatorial candidates. This is going to be a major issue. That's that's right. I mean, you, you you've had Republican leadership in this state that have not only. Uh, push for the waivers, but they've also fought the Affordable Care Act and and trying to urging its repeal in Congress. And then you have the Democrats that are going to say, look, state of Georgia, you've got hundreds of thousands of people that could get insurance through Medicaid expansion, could improve their health, could lower costs for hospitals uh, who care for these uninsured people. And the Dems are going to push that. And We'll just have to see what which side of the argument wins, but but I can pretty much guarantee that this will be a big argument and in twenty twenty two. You've told me twice this conversation that this is, in your through your lens, a, a philosophical differences. But look, Affordable Care Act was approved years ago. We're two presidents <laughs> removed from that, and we're still having this conversation. We are. And I go back to some Republican governors who were no fans of President Obama, like Jan Brewer of Arizona. Mm -hmm. She expanded Medicaid. She saw that as a good deal. John Kasich of Ohio, same thing. The governor of Republican governor of Michigan, same thing. They saw this as a good deal for the people of their state. And, And, you know, it can defray a lot of other costs down the line as well. And Andy, as we wrap up there, I even asked you this question. What will you be covering? in 2022? Well, I got a feeling that COVID is, is going to be with us maybe all year long. I hope not. But you know what? We It keeps coming back, right? But the, the health care as a political issue is going to be prominent uh, next year. And um, we'll see um, a pretty big divide between the two parties on it. And, and you know, Georgia is going to be a battleground uh, politically, but also in healthcare, and it's true in other southern states as well. And if you had to make a prediction regarding Georgia and healthcare.gov, whether or not it's going to be around, what would you say? I'd pretty much predict it would be around. I mean, the feds are don't sound convinced that the camp plan uh, uh, passes muster. And we should note that that open that the public comment period, which is now open through January 9th, 2022. Should be interesting. Andy Miller is editor of Georgia Health News and a Southern Bureau Chief of the Kaiser Health News. And we've been talking about the fate of Governor Brian Kemp's plan to cut ties with the Obamacare enrollment website, healthcare 
www.ghostofthecoast.gov. A public comment period on the plan runs through January 9th. Andy, we'll have you back when we all find out what happens. (laughs) Great to be with you, Rose. Happy holidays. You too. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. A reminder, coming up at 2.30, we will cover uh, President Joe Biden's remarks regarding the latest with COVID-19. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.